1 Corinthians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 4, please. 1 Corinthians 3 and Ephesians 4. I'm starting a new study in this service called Building the Church. Building the Church. And I'm not talking so much about a single church, but the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and Ephesians 4. Hold your place in Ephesians chapter 4. Put your ribbon there or a bookmark there or your neighbor's leg or something in there. Hold your place. No, I'm just joking, of course. And uh, we're going to start in 1 Corinthians 3. But even before we read that, talking about building the church, let me remind you of what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, when he said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Well, you know, Hades is really not an English word. It's a Greek word that's been transliterated into the English language. So we're really attempting to pronounce a Greek word by saying Hades. Other translations sometimes say, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it because Hades is a part of hell. So Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So that tells us two things. Jesus is in the church building business and hell is in the church resisting business, the church limiting business, the church pushing down business, the church attacking business. But Jesus is a builder and Jesus is building his church. How many of you are part of the church? We all, everybody who is a believer in Jesus is a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. Well, Jesus is not only the builder, he's the architect, he's the investor, and he's the master craftsman. He's the master contractor over the whole project of the building of the church. He outlined it. He paid his, uh, the price. He gave his blood, paid everything. And so let me tell you, he's deeply invested into this and he's passionate about it. So I want to talk to you. We talked some time ago and we studied about the unstoppable spirit filled church. Now we want to get into the nitty gritty of the building of the church, the building of the church. And we're going to begin here in first Corinthians chapter three. I'd like us all to read out loud verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. If you don't have the New King James Version with you, that's all right. There are a lot of good versions. But just for the sake of reading aloud, if you could follow along on the screen, we'd appreciate it. Everybody together, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. Reading loudly and together, let's read. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. Now, this, of course, is the Apostle Paul talking. And the Apostle Paul says, notice again, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. Now, if you have a pen and a Bible, underline master builder master builder, and then underline, I've laid the foundation and another builds on it. Underline the word builds and then, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. Underline the word builds again. 
Because you can see here, even though Jesus said, I will build my church, you can see that Paul is saying, hey, I'm involved in this process too. But he says this, according to the grace of God given to me, as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation and another builds on it. Somebody else is going to come and build on my foundation. And then he says, but take heed how he builds on it. In other words, Paul said, I'm not the only builder around here. There are other people in the body of Christ that are going to be building on this foundation, but make sure you build the right way. I have invested a lot. I have sacrificed a lot to make sure that the foundation that I'm building. And of course he says the foundation is Jesus Christ. But he said, I made sure that the foundation was solid and good in the hearts of all the people. So he said, everybody else take heed how you build on it. So you don't mess up what I've done. But I want you to notice, Jesus said, I will build my church. And then Paul steps up and said, well, Jesus gave me grace so that I can help build the church. And then he said, and not only that, but I started the foundation and somebody else is going to come with the grace of God given to them and they're going to build the church. What are we seeing in the Bible? We're seeing that when Jesus said, I will build my church, he never intended to do it alone. In fact, have you ever noticed Jesus makes this bold statement, I will build my church. And then he left. (laughs) Isn't that right? Well, he's seated at the right hand of the father. So who's building it? Well, he's building it, but he's doing it through us. And this brings us to Ephesians chapter four. And I want to pick it up at verse seven. Notice this. Paul says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Notice again, but to each one of us, grace was given. In other words, every single person in the body of Christ, every single person who has made Jesus the Lord of their life has been given grace. Now, let me stop and define grace because a lot of people misunderstand grace. Now, you understand when you have a bill and there's a grace period. That means that You don't have to necessarily pay anything during that grace period. But when the grace period ends, you might get charged some interest or a penalty or late fee, right? But during the grace period, you're free and clear. Now, some people would say grace is unmerited favor. Absolutely the truth. But let me define it like this. Grace is everything you've been given by God that you did not earn. You didn't pay for it. You didn't even sow into it to reap. You know, the Bible says you'll reap what you sow. Grace is what you gave. You didn't sow. You reaped before you had sown grace. And there is a lot that you may not know about that God has already extended to you by grace. You never earned it. You never even asked for it. It was given to you by grace. This is what Paul's talking about. Paul says, according to the grace of God given to me, I'm a wise master builder. And then in Ephesians 4, 7, it says, Paul said, but to each one of us, grace was given. In other words, things you did not deserve, or we could say like this, ability that you did not earn or ask for, God has given you, gifted you ability to be able to help out in building the church. Every single person has been given unique, supernatural ability from God to do something beyond your intellect, beyond your education, beyond your charisma, beyond even your energy level. You have been given grace by God to help build the church. And so Paul said, according to the grace given to me, 
I'm a wise master builder. But then he said in Ephesians 4, 7, each one of us have been given grace. And then in verse 8, therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he, Jesus, led captivity captive, and notice this, and gave gifts to men. Let's skip to verse 11. And he himself. Now when it says he himself, who are we talking about? Jesus, okay. And Jesus himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So Jesus gave grace and Jesus gave gifts to build his church. Let me say it again. Jesus gave grace to everybody and Jesus gave gifts to build his church. Grace is for everybody, but there are also some gifts. Now, the gifts that he specifically mentions, not everybody in the body of Christ have one of those gifts. And we're talking about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, not everybody is an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher. But everybody has grace to do something. Everybody understand that? But let me just share something with you. I have become convinced by the Lord that many more people, even in our own congregation, are pastors than we recognize. You may not look on the bulletin and see your name listed among the pastors, but that doesn't mean that you may not have the grace of a pastor. That does not mean that God has not called you because the qualification of your calling is not whether or not your name made it to the bulletin. In fact, let me just admit something else to you. It's probable that not everybody listed in our bulletin as a pastor has the grace of a pastor. There may be people on there that have the grace of an apostle. There may be people on there that have a grace of a prophet or an evangelist or a teacher. But in the culture in which we're in, which we're in we generally don't identify, well, this is apostle so-and-so, this is prophet so-and-so and such. And there are some people in the body of Christ, there's a segment of the body of Christ that is more uh, open to doing that. And among that segment that is open to doing that, there's a small percentage of those people that sometimes it seems to others that they're more excited about their title than they are about the function. And because of that small segment of the segment of the body of Christ that does recognize openly the titles apostle and prophet and those kinds of things, because of that, the small percentage, there have been many, many churches and such that have been turned off by those titles and just want to ignore them altogether. And so it's sort of, at least in the American church, it's sort of set the majority, you know, the sort of mainstream church world into a position to where we just kind of don't use those, even among churches like ours who recognize that these fivefold, or some people would say fourfold because pastor and teacher go together, the five or fourfold ministry, we believe that they are happening today. Now, there is a portion of the body of Christ that say, well, that kind of went away with the book of Acts, right? We really don't have apostles anymore. We really don't have prophets anymore. And then a lot of people say, we really don't have evangelists anymore. Most people, you know, they say, we're down to two, pastors and teachers. 
And some would say, oh, I think maybe evangelists, maybe we have three. Well, let me tell you something. They're all five. They're all five. All five are in function today in the body of Christ. But we don't generally use some of those titles, not because we don't believe in them, just because it's culturally not as acceptable to do so. Now, though I understand why we, among others, don't do that so openly and forthrightly, we do, however, recognize those graces and we will say about somebody, that person has the role of an apostle or that person has the grace of an apostle or what, or we'd say it, something like that. Or that person, sometimes we even say, I believe that person's an apostle, but we don't go around saying I'm apostle Jerry or I'm prophet Jerry. We don't go around talking like that so much only because titles are not as important as function. Listen, let me say this. Your calling is not a title. Your calling is not a title. Your calling is a grace that's on your life for a function and a role that you play in the body of Christ. I believe part of the resistance of hell on the church is that the enemy sows deceit in our minds and sows, oh, false teaching, false thought processes in our mind, faulty thought processes. Like here's one. Well, somebody may even feel like they have the grace of a pastor and they may think, well, you know, nobody's asked me to be a pastor, you know, so if they asked me, you know, and they, you know, put my name in the bulletin and gave me the title of a pastor, then I, I would step up and do it. But here's the thing that's faulty because since when do we need to wait on somebody printing our name in the bulletin to do what God has called us to do. Somebody say amen. amen. Jesus is the head of the church, isn't he? And if Jesus gives a grace to us and an ability to minister, we can begin to minister. We can begin to minister. And I believe during this study, during this study over the next number of weeks, that many of you are going to become activated in your ministry, whether you have one of the fivefold ministry or you have one of these graces on your life that the fivefold ministry loves, by the way. The love, God, uh, the fivefold ministry loves people to tap into the grace given to them and to begin to use it. And whatever it is, I believe many of you are going to become active because during this study, the Holy Spirit's going to bring out that man, he needs your grace involved. He gave you something and he needs it to participate in this whole building process of the church, of the church. Nobody really cares about our titles. Nobody cares about our titles. What they care about is our function. And if they could speak in biblical language, most people would just say, can you help me? But if they could speak in biblical language, people would say something like this. Hey, do you have any grace from the Lord that can solve my problem? And that could be a teaching grace. That could be a, a healing grace. You know, gifts of healings. One of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. That could be words of wisdom. That could be uh, instruction, discipleship. What grace do you have on your life that may be able to help me? Now, people don't talk like that because that's more Bible language. But people just say, hey, can you help me? Hey, I need help. But the point is, they don't care about your title. In fact, I remember Smith Wigglesworth. Now, he's passed away many years ago, but he was known and still is known. Many books have been written by him and about him. 
But he was known for miracles. He raised the dead multiple times. He, he was uh, known for healing the sick and just extraordinary miracles that were documented in his ministry. And he didn't even start in the ministry until he was in his 60s. And still just became one of the most popular ministers. Huge crowds of people because of the extraordinary miracles that happened. Well, I remember he had written a letter to a guy and that guy came to one of his meetings. And after the meeting, he said, uh, Mr. Wigglesworth, he said, I got this letter that you wrote. Did you know you spelled Holy Spirit seven different ways in this letter? And Smith Wigglesworth said, did you understand it? And he said, yeah, he did good. And he walked away. <laughs> Look. People really don't care what your education is. If you lay hands on them and they get healed of their incurable disease, they don't care what your education is. Man, they're looking for the grace of God on your life. They want to know, do you have something from God that'll help me? And this is what's so powerful. The world will look at many of us and even make comments to us. Our own relatives or our friends will make comments to us and put us down and make us feel like we really don't have a lot to offer. But the Lord says, look, I gave you something that is so valuable. You can't buy it at a store, whether it be Walmart or Nordstrom, you can't get it. It is by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit that that was put on your life. And I'm telling you, people need that grace. People need that grace. Biographies are written by so many people. And when do they write chapters about a person's title? They don't. They write it about what they contribute, what they add to society, how they change people's lives. That's what biographies are about. See, listen, don't wait for a title. Begin to function in the grace that God has given to you. And when you function in your grace, then people that need that grace will begin to recognize that grace and will be drawn to you, and God will open doors for you. Somebody say amen to that. So here's the question. So what is your calling from God? What is your calling from God? What is your grace? What has God given you that he needs employed and activated for the building of his church? Now look again at verse 11. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And some of you are those five. I believe there are many in our congregation that are pastors that don't have the title of a pastor, but they have the grace of a pastor. How do I know that? Because check this out. What the Lord is speaking to us about at the rock in our next season taking rock groups everywhere. I've been thinking about this. Our future looks like the history of the church, the early church. Our future, God is telling us to go into something that looks like the early church. So we're going back to the future, so to speak. So to speak, okay? We don't have a you know Lamborghini or anything like that. All right. Now, let me show you let me show you about the early church. Listen to a few scriptures. In Acts 2.46, now this is on the day of Pentecost. And the Bible says, after these 3,000 got saved, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from what? House to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. So from the very first day of the early church, 
They were not only meeting in the bigger crowd in the temple, but they were also meeting in homes from house to house. I mean, this is the way the whole thing started. They were meeting from house to house. And by the way, when the the Bible says breaking bread, that could mean just eating meals together. But often the breaking of bread indicated having communion together. You know, the bread and the juice, remembering the death of the Lord and what that means for our lives. They were doing that in homes. And you can do it in homes. That's scriptural. You don't have to wait till you get to church. Some people think only a pastor or a priest can administer communion. That's absolutely not the truth. According to the word of God, any two believers can get together. In fact, you can do it by yourself. There's not even a requirement you have to have somebody. But generally, it was done in groups of people. And it was often done in homes, as we see. Now, listen to Acts chapter 8. This is the apostle Paul before he got saved. And he was a big persecutor of the church. But notice what it says in verse 3, Acts 8, 3. As for Saul, that, that was his name, he made havoc of the church. He made havoc of who? Of the church. Now notice this. He made havoc of the church entering every house. So notice he didn't enter a church building. They didn't have church buildings. There was the temple and they had homes. That was it. So he made havoc of the church. What did he do? He entered every house where churches were meeting and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. So Paul paid all these house churches a visit. Now, Listen to Acts 20, verse 20. This is, of course, after Paul was saved and functioning as an apostle. He said in Acts 20, 20, I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. So Paul said, when I came to minister to you, I not only taught you in the big crowds, but I also came to your house churches to teach you. See, so you can see in the Bible, in these early years of the Bible, that house churches were the norm. People didn't just wait to meet in a big crowd. People met in their homes constantly. Let me show you something else. In Colossians 4.15, Paul said, Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus. Aren't you glad your name's not Nymphus? (laughs) And greet Nymphus. Notice this, and the church that is in his house. See, they didn't have church buildings. The churches were in homes. And so, by the way, this is not Nymphus, this is Pastor Nymphus. See, this church in his home, that generally indicates that he's the pastor of this church. So way back from the beginning, this is the way the body of Christ functioned. Churches met in homes. And usually the person that it was their home, was the pastor of the church. Not always, probably, but usually. Now listen to Romans 16, 3. Paul says, greet Priscilla and Aquila. Now that's a married couple. And here's something interesting. It was culturally inappropriate to greet the woman before the man. And yet he does it. Greet Priscilla and Aquila. It's almost like this. Hey, greet Priscilla. Oh, and her husband Aquila too. And I'm being, you know, extreme in that. But he put the woman first. Now let me tell you, don't think that they would have read this and not thought anything about it. Everybody there would have known that that was intentional, that he greeted the wife by name first before the husband. And by the way, this is not the only place it happens. It happens a couple other times in the New Testament. That Priscilla is addressed before her husband, Aquila. 
Now, why is that? Well, I believe, well, we're going to find out right now why I believe it is. It says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their own necks. Notice not just one, they both risk their own necks for my life to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Verse five, likewise, greet the church that is in what? In their house. So Priscilla and Aquila had a church in their house. So why would Paul put her name first? Well, I guarantee it wasn't because he liked her. She's fine. I like her. No, that's a man's wife. And if that was so, well, that certainly wouldn't be included in the Bible. This is inspired text by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that right? Not because he liked her. Evidently, what I believe is that he was recognizing her because she had the more prominent grace on her life in the ministry, pastoring that church in their house. So he was addressing the more prominent gifting over her husband. So he wasn't recognizing male goes before female. He was recognizing grace goes before another grace. In other words, the grace of the predominant minister. And evidently Priscilla was the one that had the grace to pass that church. Now, let me tell you, I personally have seen this before. I know a couple who have pastored two different ways. They pastored uh, one way where the husband was the leader and they pastored a secondary a church. They planted both churches where the wife was the leader. And the, the second one where the wife was the leader of the church called the senior pastor, that church just took off and grew and flourished. But the first time it didn't go so well. Now, I'm not saying that's the only reason, but I'm just saying that that couple recognized that really the predominant grace of the senior pastor in that couple was on the wife. And when they did it that way, it went so much better than the other way. Not because the husband wasn't a good person, loves the Lord, worked hard. See, but it's according to the grace, according to the grace. Now, see, I know that there are some people who in the body of Christ would teach that, you know, based on a a passage or two in the New Testament, that women are not allowed by God to be in any leadership ministry. But let me tell you a couple of things. First of all, out of about 40 Bible authors, the Bible is written by about 40 different people. Out of about 40 Bible authors, there's one Bible author that stands head and shoulders above all the other biblical authors in his support for women in ministry leadership. Do you know who it is? It's the Apostle Paul. That's exactly right. The very person that people want to use to say women are excluded from leadership ministry, the Apostle Paul is the most pro-women in ministry. Because the Apostle Paul is the one that says things like this. Hey, greet Phoebe, who is a deaconess. By the way, that's a leadership position. And most translations don't translate it as deacon. In a, a deacon. But when they're talking about a male, they'll translate it generally as deacon. And now they're talking about a female, so the translation just says servant. But you look at the word, and she's a deacon. That's a ministry leadership position in the church. Document it. And Paul says, greet Phoebe. And then he says, make sure to help her and assist her in whatever she needs. He didn't say, I'm sending her to assist you. He said, make sure you assist her. (laughs) And then in another passage, Paul said, hey, uh, help these women who have 
been co-laborers with me. You help them out. That's very interesting, isn't it? And Paul is very pro-women in ministry and just greeting and recognizing. And there are other places too where one place where Paul even recognizes a female apostle and says she is of note among the apostles, Junia specifically. Now, aside from that, Paul is also the one in 2 Timothy 3.16 that says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. In other words, Paul's the one that said by inspiration of the Holy Spirit that when you're ascertaining and determining doctrines, make sure that you understand that all scripture is to be considered for doctrine. You can't just take one little snatch of the Bible and ignore the rest of the Bible. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and profitable for doctrine. Isn't that what he said? Well, let me tell you, when you look at the whole Bible and whether or not God uses women in leadership capacities in the whole Bible, like Deborah, who was the judge of Israel, not a judge at that time, she was the judge of Israel and she was the wife of Lapidoth. And so in other words, she's a married lady, but the grace on her was to judge all of Israel. So men and women alike had to come to her for judgment. And that was appointed by the Lord, by the way, documented in the scripture that those judges were appointed by God. And so, and of course, prophetesses and such in the old and the new Testament documented in the word of God. When you look at the whole of scripture, the weight of evidence that God does indeed use women in ministry leadership, though certainly less, there are less of them mentioned than men, but the fact is they are mentioned. And they are very well documented in a variety of different places. It's in the Bible. And if you want some further study, I did three whole teachings on this very subject. You can go to the Resource Center and get it called Women in Leadership Ministry. Now listen, on the day the church was born, Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit fell down and people heard the sound of the rushing mighty wind, they all gathered together to come and see to come and see what's going on here. And because of what they saw, they thought these guys were drunk. And what happened? Peter stood up. You remember this? In Acts 2, 16, he stood up and said, these guys are not drunk. He said in verse 17, this is what the prophet Joel talked about. And Joel prophesied in the last days, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Didn't he say that? I want you to notice Peter said, look, this is irrespective of male or female. When the Holy Spirit's poured out, these human beings are not operating by gender power. They're operating by Holy Spirit power. And muscle mass has no influence on the Holy Spirit's power. Amen? We're talking about the power of God. And Peter said, well, this is what Joel talks about. In the last days, when the Holy Spirit's poured out, men and women are going to be used powerfully in the body of Christ. So I'm convinced, just like Paul here is greeting Priscilla and saying, greet Priscilla and and, and her husband, Aquila. Yeah. (laughs) Greet, Greet her. Because, and greet the church that's in their house. See, just like that, 
the Holy Spirit is recognizing ladies who have a grace on them to pastor a house church, to minister, to teach, and so on. And of course, you don't want to take on any role that the Lord has not genuinely graced you to do because that's called pride. And God resists the proud. But when you do recognize a grace on your life, in all humility, begin to pursue and allow God to use you. Can somebody say amen to this? Man, this is so important. There's a sleeping giant in the body of Christ called women. And the Holy Spirit is awakening that sleeping giant and calling them into ministry and saying, look, the time is short. The time is short. We need to reach every person now. We don't have another 150 years. We need to do it now. People are dying every day. And some people just want to slice in half the whole body of Christ and say, all that part can't be used in any leadership. Hey, Jesus is saying, I'm building my church. I'm calling them in. I'm pouring out my spirit on them. They can all be used in capacity, some of them in leadership capacities. So greet Priscilla and Aquila. Now let's look at Philemon. Philemon verses one and two. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer. Verse two, to the beloved Aphia, most scholars believe that that's Philemon's wife. And then it says, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Some, some people think that it's possible that Archippus is Philemon and Aphia's son. Can't prove that, but some people believe that. It really is irrelevant. The point is, the church that's in your house. Now, this could be either Pastor Philemon pastoring that church or Pastor Archippus. Some people think it could be Archippus because the word your, the church that is in your house, that's a singular your and not talking about your house, Philemon, Aphia, and Archippus, not all of your house, but just singular. And because Archippus' name is the closest to the word your, some people think was probably in Archippus' house. But nonetheless, whether it's in Philemon's house or Archippus' house, the point that I'm making is that one of these guys is the pastor of a home church. And I'm just showing you in the Bible, this is just the way it was. And this is what the Lord is saying to us. I want house churches everywhere. I want rock groups everywhere. I want ministry going on everywhere because I've poured out grace on people to minister. Listen to Colossians 4, 17. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. Say that with me. Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. That's a word, not just to Archibus, that's to all of us. Every one of us have received grace. And the Lord is saying to us, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. If you don't take heed to it, it will not be fulfilled. If you don't take heed to it, it will not be fulfilled. Now, we in 2012 started rock groups. We'd never done them before. Just last year, we started rock groups. And then last fall, we did a beta test of putting OSL, level one discipleship, in 15 of our rock groups just to test it out, one shot. 
one level one class in 15 groups. Now we had close to, I think, 75 groups at the time, 74 groups, and we, we tested it in 15 groups. We didn't advertise it at the church. We didn't put it in our pre-service slides. We didn't put it in our bulletin. We didn't put it in our video announcements. No platform announcement, nothing. We just did a test to see if those rock groups on their own could invite people into discipleship and disciple them. We had well over 100 people join those classes and 92 graduated from the 15 beta classes. Now that's an average of 6.5 graduates per rock group or per level one class. Now the Lord this year is saying take rock groups everywhere. So in one year we've got over 80 rock groups now. In one year we've launched over 80 rock groups. Now we certainly should be able, now that we know what we're doing, to launch at least another 80. If we had 160 rock groups and we're asking each rock group to do at least two level one classes a year. Now, it's, they're four weeks long, but they're five classes. So if you meet on a Tuesday night, it'll take five Tuesday nights to get a level one done. And if you did that twice, that would be 10 Tuesday nights a year that you would be doing a level one class. So 42 Tuesday nights, you wouldn't do discipleship, but 10 you would, okay? If 160 groups did two level one discipleships in a year and had the same average of 6.5 graduates per group, we would graduate in one year over 2,000 people from level one. And listen to this, that's not even counting what we're doing on the campus. We've been doing it on the campus now for 10 years. And every year has been remarkable growth and increase of how many level one graduates we have from the previous year. Last year, we had over 1,400 graduates from level one on, on our campuses. But just think if we add, when we add OSL to our rock groups and begin to do that, just think how the, the growth is going to be exponential. And now you understand why they did that in the early church. And now you can see why. The Bible says believers were added to the church daily, those who were being saved. When you activate the whole body of Christ, instead of just the good-looking pastor on Sundays. I'm talking about Pastor Carl, of course. When you activate the whole body of Christ, can you imagine how much ministry the Holy Spirit is going to do? Can you see? So the Lord is leading us into an era and a season to have the same kind of results that the early church had. Can somebody say amen to this? Man, I'm excited about this. I'm excited about this. Here's a word that God gave me among others at the beginning of the year. Now is the time, says the Lord, the things you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I will give them the same results and fruitfulness as you have had. Now he's not necessarily talking about the same size of ministry and people, but he's saying the same results of how people have been changed and impacted. When you lay hands on these other people, then they're going to go out and have the same results. And so in our trainings that we're doing, our startup rock group trainings, which by the way, a week from Tuesday, I'm doing the next one. And I'm inviting anybody here that either believes you have the grace to pastor a rock group 
or you feel like you have grace on your life to partner with somebody to pastor and to lead and to minister in a rock group, I'm inviting you to come and we're not only going to train you from 6.30 to 9 that evening, but at the end, I'm going to lay hands on everybody and I'm going to declare that anything I have inside of me that you need for your ministry, that by the Holy Spirit, it'll be imparted. Now, of course, you're not limited to that because the Holy Spirit can impart anything you, he wants to. But according to the Bible, the laying on of hands is a way that grace is transferred from one person to another person. And then that person begins to walk in that same grace. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, I want you. And it was like Moses who laid hands on 70 people and God put his spirit on them. Like Paul who said to Timothy, stir up the gift of God, which is in you that was given to you through the laying on of my hands. And he also said to Timothy, do not neglect the gift that was given to you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the elders. And so laying on of hands is for, is for impartation. And I'm going to lay my hands on every one of you. And we're going to begin to see results in house churches. Oh, I don't know about you, but this is exciting. This is a whole new level of ministry in the kingdom of God, at least for us here at The Rock. Now, let me close with this concept. God says, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. Take heed to it. Take heed to it. And here's what I want to get across to you. Nothing grows just with time. Nothing. Nothing grows just with time. Somebody will say, well, well, I, I believe one day God's just going well, look, nothing grows just with time. If you said, in time, I'll become a lawyer. That's not true. You need to go to law school. You can't just wait and become a lawyer. In time, I'll become a surgeon. Well, you're not operating on me, Jack. You need to go to medical school. Isn't that right? See, if you think just waiting is going to bring it to pass. No. If you wait, you waste. You need to know what to do. Things don't just grow by time. You look out at your backyard and you see brown grass everywhere and dirt. And you look out there and say, in time, there's going to be green grass and fruit trees everywhere out there. Well, I think you need to do some planting. Isn't that right? Some watering. See, you can't just say it'll happen in time. Things don't grow just by time. Things only go grow by truth. You have to know what the truth is to get it to what it's supposed to be. And apply the truth and then time will bring it into existence. But time will never do it on, on its own. You have to know the truth and apply the truth. For example, in 1 Corinthians 3.6, Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Notice he didn't say, I waited and Apollos waited and God just did it. We're just waiting for God to show up. No, he didn't wait. He planted he had to work. He had to apply the truth. He had to, according to the grace of God given to me, I had to apply it. And when I applied it, God sent somebody else to apply theirs and maybe somebody else to apply theirs. And God through us gave the increase. See, 
And so take heed to the ministry which you've received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. That you may fulfill it. When we use our graces, God brings us all together and he causes growth. He causes growth. This is the building of the church. Everyone here is called to be a part of the building of the church. And you won't be fulfilled in your life without it. I suggest to you that the most important thing in your life is doing what God has called you to do. The world will distract you and attract you to many things. And you have to be able to stop and say, but what has God called me to do? And everything else must be subject to what God has called me to do. I can't just get into bowling or boating or bingo or anything else that starts with a B. I need to do what I'm called to do. And then if I have time for bingo, great. But first, I must seek the kingdom of God. And many people don't realize that the breakthroughs they're looking for have a prerequisite of putting God first. Seek first the kingdom of God and then all these things will be added to you. We need to make sure that we prioritize the calling of God on our life. And then we'll see his kingdom power goes into operation on our behalf. I believe a lot of people are about to get saved around here. I believe many people are about to be discipled around here. I believe the communities all around our campuses are about to see breakthroughs ministry happening in home churches. I believe many, many, many people that have been graced with giftings and ministry abilities, including pastoral abilities, teaching abilities, are going to be activated, including many women. Can I get an amen from the men? Amen. amen. Including many women. Let me just say something on that as we close. Paul Young Cho, who later his name was changed to David Young Cho. He pastored the church that became the largest church in the world. At one point, they were at a million members. I think, poor, you know, they've been planning churches and everything now. So I think they've shrunk, blessed their hearts to only three quarters of a million. So it's kind of just barely hanging on now, you know. Still the, by far the largest church in the world. Now, when God spoke to him to start house churches that he called cell groups, he couldn't get the men to partner with him. They didn't think the idea was worth their time. And so he started with 20 women who helped him, who allowed him to train them to lead these cell groups. And he and these 20 women launched a foundation that became the largest church in the world and eventually a million members planting churches everywhere. See, look. God's looking for people that are available. Isn't that right? There's some people that have great personalities and charisma, but you can't get them off their can. <laughs> They're sitting on their charisma. <laughs> but there are other people that think, I don't think I have very much. I'm not sure I can do very much. And God is saying, I gave you grace that will blow away any personality, any charisma, any education. This is the grace of the Lord. And God is speaking to many hearts, I know, 
today and saying, I'm going to use you. You're, you're going to shock your relatives and friends as to how God uses you in the ministry by the grace given to us. I mean, if you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, amen. Amen. 